0: Renewable Generation, a show on climate and energy issues by young people for all people. My name is Evan, and today I'm back with my two lovely co-hosts, Stephen and Kelly. Stephen, how was your week off from the Renewable Generation?
1: Um, it was great. Um, so I went down with some friends to uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina um for those of you that don't know it's uh, a little stretch of land it's like an island but it's super thin like it's kind of an anomaly <laughs> i've never seen anything like it it's like very thin piece of land often like you know off the beach of uh, north carolina and it's it's beautiful there um we went camping and it was like deserted there was like barely anyone there um very windy uh, so we bought like a kite and like flew a kite for several hours it was it was very enjoyable it's great to just like Take a break from everything, and uh, you know surprisingly, a lot of people were, were wearing masks. It was a uh, very like, COVID safe, actually, not maybe not something it's that I expected, a swing state
0: but, hell hey, yeah, North Carolina, have you been able to get job. outside at all recently
2: Well, recently we've been dealing with wildfire smoke here in the Pacific Northwest, so if you go outside, it smells like smoke and it's been. It's a little bit weird because I think it was supposed to be really hot in the weather forecast, but the smoke has been blocking out a lot of the sun, so it's been cold. The smoke is supposed to clear later this week, so I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to get out and do stuff. But meanwhile, this weekend, I've kind of just been hunkering down at home and doing some creative projects, like arranging some music, doing some art. And so that's actually been really fun. I haven't been doing as much creative stuff um, recently. And it's kind of fun to get back into the swing of things and use that part of my brain.
0: Yeah, and Kelly mentioned the wildfires. Uh, for those of us on the West Coast, we're dealing with uh, what is commonly known as wildfire season around here. So we're we're used to this kind of thing. Um, but it's also from someone with a very uh, uninformed stance on this. It seems like it keeps getting worse. And this year, I've there's been some images and some things that I've seen that I've never seen before being a resident of California for like 16 years of my life.
2: Wait, can can I butt in? So what I wanted to say is that um, this episode is mainly about the wildfires. And so um, Stephen actually did a lot of research um, on this topic and is going to be presenting this episode. So I'm going to drop off um, until the very end for my Green News spiel.
0: So uh, Stephen, why don't you tell me a little bit more about whether or not this actually is getting worse and this is something more than just wildfire season
1: so 2020 has been one hell of a year right i think we can all collectively agree on that um so 2020 let's let's not forget it began with australia on fire um and it's easy to kind of forget how much damage happened then um it was huge um the uh, the australian wildfires covered more land the entire country of Portugal um, and, you know try to contextualize that right try not to like be numb to what these things really are um, this is just another nail in the coffin for many of like the unique and beautiful species that that exist in Australia that are unique to that island that, that exists nowhere else so, such as marsupials like koalas which, which are endangered kangaroos and wallabies which are also endangered um, and these are this is like part of the the, you know, the biodiversity of earth that we must protect as, as inhabitant, inhabitants of this earth. Um, you know, so I just also want to do a quick shout out to the Irwin family from of Steve Irwin, um, you know, Bindi, Robert and Terry Irwin, um, since the beginning of this year have been treating over 90,000 wild animals at the Australian zoo that come in and who've been injured by the wildfires. And, and that's a humongous, you know, tremendous effort that, you know, that, they really deserve commendation for that but that's not even that's not a significant portion. 90,000 90, animals is not a significant portion of all the animals who have been displaced, who have been killed. who knows how many endangered species have already been wiped out in, in that entire wildfire, right? Um, and, then, and then you know switching lenses now to the US you know to the west coast, so far over 4,500 square miles of scorched earth, have happened. Um, and that number is growing, right? Those, those wildfires are not even close to contained. Um, and you know what? This is, this is shaping out to be the worst wildfires in US recorded history. Is this just coincidence? Is it just weather? You know, A lot of people say, oh, that's just the weather. We're seeing bad weather events. But at what point do enough weather events happen as a pattern? At what point do we actually call it for what it is and say, this is, this is a change in climate, Remember that climate is, is something that's repeated it's more long-term and the base level of our environment has shifted. That's what climate change essentially talks about. And and lastly, you know, the this is what what fire historian Steve, Stephen Pine is calling what we're entering the pyrocene, which is the era of flames. So is this really, you know, the beginning of the pyrocene? And that's something we'll start to 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 investigate in this episode.
0: So you've um you brought up a lot of statistics here, Stephen, that are, I mean, they're intimidating. They're the scale of some of these statistics, like Australia's scorched earth being an area larger than Portugal. It's the type of things that are meant to scare you into action. But some people also look at these things as sensationalism. And they think, oh, this is just the kind of thing that always happens. Like California always has wildfire season. This is just natural natural climate. There's no climate change is a natural phenomenon. So what, I mean, is there any merit to that? Or what, as a counter argument, would you say is different about what's going on now than regular climate change?
1: I think that's a, that is like the question. That is the point with climate change. And it's one of the most difficult challenges because, because it's such a slow moving uh, disaster. It's hard to, to actually point human beings to it and say, look at what's happening. And so this is a question I'm going to be exploring over and over in this episode. At what point do enough weather events that are extreme and are rapidly increasing, at what point are, is a significant portion of the U.S. population or of the world population going to say, oh my gosh, there's actually a legitimate emergency happening? So I don't think that I have a great answer for you. I think it's, I think it's just pointing, like the most that I can do as a science um, thinking individual is continuously point to the data. Um, and just say look at the data but you know you know i also i also would believe that most people don't aren't really swayed by data so i think that it's really going to take it pe- human beings only change their behavior when they are personally affected by something so i think that's the fundamental nugget of truth here so i think it's going to take enough politicians enough business leaders enough people in power throughout our world to be personally affected by these climate events before we really start to see some real change. Um, luckily, though, we are starting to see those changes in the financial world and the business world already, because the people that are intelligent are starting to realize that if, if we keep our money invested in fossil fuel assets or dirty assets, we're going to lose money, actually. They're starting to see the writing on the wall. So the financial sector, the economic sector is starting to shift. Um, and now it's just a matter of how fast can we do that? How fast can we shift our course and actually implement solutions?
0: Well, I guess before we start talking about these future shifts, why don't you uh, detail what's going on right now, specifically in the West Coast with the wildfires?
1: So starting off with a couple of years ago, I think it was one or one to three years ago, we've had a couple of uh, massive wildfires in California, mainly due to PG&E. Um, and PG&E is, 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 for those people who don't know, is one of the largest utilities in California and one of the largest utilities in the United States. Um And they, um, like every utility, um, it's, it's a very big challenge to manage all of their distribution lines and their transmission lines. And I mean those, I just mean the electricity lines out that you see in the streets or, you know, everywhere, everywhere you go, you see those grid lines somewhere. Um, and it's very difficult for them to manage the, the vast quantity of lines and any single one of those lines could be faulty and create a spark. Okay. So let, let me, let me like contextualize what we're facing right now on the West coast. We're seeing, and I'm sure people have seen these pictures, pictures of like legitimately orange and dark red, vibrant skies from wildfires. There are 40,000 displaced Oregonians, which let's face it, let's call it what it is. These are climate refugees. Um, Bend Oregon's um, Air Quality Index, or AQI, is among the worst in the world. And we have fires spanning in the United States from Seattle to Los Angeles to Fort Collins, Colorado. So for anyone on the east coast of the United States, that's a that's an area that is the that is the equivalent area of the northern tip of Florida, all the way up to to uh, Vancouver. No, not Vancouver. Quebec. Excuse me, and all the way west to St. Louis, Missouri. Just think about how large of a land like that is that it's covering, and um, so we're seeing smoke travel in much even even larger distances than than the actual fire because the smoke travels by air. And all of this is going to be difficult to breathe in. And this is all during a pandemic, COVID-19, which attacks humans' uh, respiratory systems. This is the real deal, people. And I, I don't mean to overwhelm listeners and to, to do doom and gloom, but you have to actually call it for what it is. This is, this is. These are the stakes that we face. And we are in dire times. But here's the thing. I believe that this is exactly when human beings are at their best. When our backs are against the wall, when we have when we're facing insurmountable odds and it looks like there's no hope left, this is exactly when humans rise to the occasion and actually get themselves in gear. Um, and I think that's the question that I posed earlier, right? At what point are we gonna finally wake up and tackle this problem in earnest? Um, what, what I'm saying is that this is not gonna, this, this problem is not gonna go away on its own. And at some point, human beings as a, as a entire global you know, population are gonna say, okay, we actually need to solve climate change. At what point will that happen? And I'm saying it's either going to happen now or it's going to happen later. So I'm arguing let's make it happen right now.
0: All right. So I guess if we're going to tackle this problem, a good first step would be to know what the problem is. So why are these fires happening right now, Stephen? Is it just because of climate change? Is it because the West Coast is so hot and dry and arid because we're a chaparral environment? Or are there other factors at play?
1: Ah, uh, Yes, the chaparral.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I paid attention to geology.
1: <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, So to begin with, let's talk about first and foremost, yes, Southwest California is pretty much a desert or a chaparral, as you say. Um, We really shouldn't have developed an entire city there. and In fact, most of the water we get in L.A. gets brought in over the the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And it takes so much energy and so much money to get the water over there. So it's a really inefficient place to build a city yet we did it anyways you know human beings are are ambitious and will will get it done but um the rest of the rest of the west coast is not like that right we have northern california which is pretty humid we have oregon and seattle which are extremely humid um so it's not you can't it's not easy to to explain it all away with just that explanation um so one thing we can point to is the fact that population has really exploded on the west coast in the last decades um, and as we know, in, in the West Coast, um, property, property value is skyrocketing. The, co- the, li- the cost of living is skyrocketed. So what this essentially means is that poorer people have to move out of the city areas that they were living in into more wooded and suburban areas, a little bit further away from, from maybe civilization, you might call it. Um, and in the West Coast, we have, we have a lot of forested regions, a lot more so than the East Coast. Um, so essentially, these people are settling into communities that are closer to dried brush. This, not to mention that we've been experiencing a decade of drought, um, and um, in in the California specifically, there's a policy of avoiding controlled burns. Um, so um, this is this is actually a problem because actually seasonal burns is a natural part of the process. Um, it's a natural part of, um, in fact, indigenous communities in California did controlled burns all the time, and they learned to coexist with nature. There are a lot of seeds, for example, that that are on the ground that will not germinate until they feel the the temperatures of a fire. All of a sudden, then all the other trees will be burnt off and die, and then those seedlings will all of a sudden germinate and build the forest anew. So this is a natural process, right? Um, So when people point to a lot of climate change skeptics will say, oh, fires always happened. They've always been happening. That is true. Um, But what what is a nuance there is the rate of and the intensity of these wildfires. These things are not natural anymore and they're, they're getting skewed out of balance. And um, this is not this is not news, right? Scientists all over the world have been saying for decades, they've been warning us climate change is not something on the horizon anymore. In fact, we're experiencing it right now, and the evidence is before our eyes. Um, so what I'm, what I'm getting at is that all of these pre-existing conditions that I just mentioned, those are things that actually that are existing right? These are problems land management, forest management, maybe some bumbled fault policies that the West Coast is is implementing. But what I'm getting at is that climate change is a threat multiplier. So what I mean is that all these things that exist are only getting worse because climate change is exacerbating it. It's raising the temperatures. It's making a little bit more dry. Little by little, every year, it gets a little bit hotter, gets a little bit drier. This has been contributing to the California drought. Anyone who lives in California can can t- attest to the fact, you know, there were like there were um, times when when the county would tell you to turn off your water, don't you know, don't shower as much, um, stop watering your lawn, It's because water is really expensive and hard to get there. Um, every day there's less rain, there's less fog, um, and there's more sun and more heat waves. And That's another thing we can all attest to in, Cal- in California. There's been record heat waves recently. And that's not something, you know, another thing you can point to, oh, that's just the weather. The weather always does that. Well, at what point are enough heat waves going to hit you? And at what intensity of heat waves is going to hit you where you're going to say, oh, maybe it's something different. You know, we we recently just experienced the hottest temperature ever recorded in human history. Is that not an alarm bell for you? Like, at what point then? You know, to, to all the skeptics, I'd say, at what point would you actually say that it's legitimate? So and and you know when people point to like issues like PG&E or arson or you know careless gender reveals, that sure those are all things that we should be shaming and and condemning. But but in these conditions of climate change and, and wooded forests, all you need is a spark, any spark, and it's gonna catch fire. Like we're pretty much living in tinder boxes in in the West Coast here. So this is not just something that you can blame on individual events, like, oh, people shouldn't commit arson, which they shouldn't, or they shouldn't do gender reveal parties that use explosives, which maybe they shouldn't. What we really should be framing this in is this is climate change, and we actually need to solve climate change. And then, so one last thing I would, I would say on top of all this, let's not forget, you know, trees are an essential part of life. Like, you know, like there's no, nothing else I can say about that. Trees are, are essential. They take carbon dioxide out of the air and they produce oxygen that we breathe. The fact that we can even exist on this planet is due to trees and other other uh plants that that that, you know that they do the photosynthesis and produce what we need to breathe the more trees we lose the more the more we are degrading our oxygen levels in the atmosphere um and don't forget last last and not least every tree that is burnt is releasing all of its carbon into the air as well so as we're trying to stop the the carbon emissions and flatten the curve on emissions Like, the wildfires are just exacerbating that even more so. So, we better get to work, people.
0: And now it's time for Evan's Climate Fact of the Day. Did you know, for my gender reveal, my parents dumped an obscene amount of oxybenzone into the Pacific Ocean, which led to mass coral bleaching in the Great Barrier Reef and a devastating Combs family-wide travel ban to Australia. That was Evan's Climate Fact of the Day! So I'd, I'd like to apologize for what my parents did to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, I, I know now that it was wrong, um, and I hope one day I can visit Australia again. Um, so Stephen, you, you did a lot of scaring uh, in that first half of the episode, but I think it's good because I think we do need to get scared into action so let's talk about that action. What are what are the solutions here?
1: So let me just frame this first of all by saying that I'm an optimist. Despite everything, I'm a I am I would say I'm a practical optimist. It's not it's not optimism, it's not blind optimism, it's not blind faith, okay? It's 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 optimism because I know what human beings are capable of when we actually commit ourselves to something. I've seen it before. We've seen it in the World War II, we've seen it in the Cold War. Human beings are capable of extraordinary feats if only we set our minds to it. So what what is it that we need to do to solve this wildfire problem? Well, it's not going to be an easy solution, that's for sure. And, I'm, and I, I don't mean to paint it that way, um, but it is doable. So there there are a couple of short-term solutions that we need to do to, to cope with this problem. So I'm going to talk about two different things, short-term solutions for coping and long-term solutions for actually solving the, the root of the problem. So short-term solutions... Um we we just need to have more firefighters. Um, this is a problem that has is, is growing worse every year and um, we just need more more people, more boots on the ground. Um, this is a huge jobs problem, uh sorry, a huge jobs program. Um, but what I mean to that, we need to hire a massive fleet of firefighters, a massive fleet of forest managers, and a ton of lumberjacks. Um, Essentially, what they need to do in terms of preventative maintenance is actually go to the forests and cut down dead or dying trees, which are essentially just tinder. They're very dry and waiting just for the opportunity to catch. Um, In a lot of the West Coast forests, they have what are called um, understories and overstories. Um, And In the West Coast, a lot of the brush that's really dry is on the ground, low to the ground and not up high. So uh, what you actually need to do is clear out that underbrush as well. Um, this is something that there's not going to be as far as I'm aware and I could be wrong. There's not going to be a very high tech solution to this. It's just going to be hire people to get out there and clear the brush. Um, the good thing is, is that this is a huge jobs program, right? We're in a historic recession right now. We got like, last I checked 30 million or more unemployed in America. So let's put people to work and to Kelly's point, let's put them to work, then film it and then put it on reality TV, you know, might as well make it profitable. <laughs> well, you know, right now, California alone spends about half a billion dollars every year on fires. So unfortunately, I, I would propose increase that budget and we got to address it because the costs of not dealing with wildfire are going to exceed the, the costs of actually dealing with it. Um, another thing is that a lot, of, um, a lot of the California firefighters are actually incarcerated folks that are in jail. They're getting paid nothing or next to nothing to put their lives on the line and protect the rest of us from these wildfires. This is, a, this is another social problem, right? These are, these, are, these are individuals, they're human beings with rights. Just because they're incarcerated doesn't mean they don't have rights. But they get paid almost nothing. They get, it's essentially they're being forced to go and combat wildfires that could easily take their lives. And then when they get out of jail, they're not even given the opportunity to have that job as a firefighter. So that's another thing we can train. If we're gonna, if we're going to use incarcerated folks to fight wildfires, let's give them a job as a firefighter afterwards as well.
0: And I would like to shout out Gavin Newsom for starting a jobs program, uh, putting a jobs program in place for incarcerated peoples that are working on the current wildfires. Uh, so there is movement being made there, at least in California. Um, I also wanted to hit upon. You mentioned that uh, you think the solution would be to. Um, So currently, California spends half a billion dollars uh, dealing with the fires, and your solution is to spend more, which I I mean, I'm not here to disagree. But I also think when you're pitching that to any government or any people, it's kind of it's a tough pitch. And I think we're kind of in the business of turning tough pitches like this into a better pitch by rephrasing and making it a better sales pitch so how would you how would you try to how would you try to make it sound more like an incentive and less like a punishment
1: yeah um well that's 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 like the, the billion dollar question right there how do you actually convince people in power to implement these solutions which are necessary um i'd probably have to do a little bit more research into the financials i i am almost certain i can almost guarantee that the cost of dealing with these problems is going to be far less than the cost of doing nothing essentially. Um, But I'd also point to, so I would have to crunch those numbers to provide that economic value. But I'd also say that an easy solution, an easy point to bring up is that we are in a historic recession. So we need people to get back to work. We need to give these people jobs. So give them jobs as that, give them jobs as firefighters, give them jobs as forest managers and, you know, national parks, rangers, and lumberjacks. These are, these are all like lucrative industries to begin with. And we can get get people back into those, into those avenues. Um, and not to mention we're going to be saving lives. We're going to be saving, we're going to, to be fighting climate change. We're going to be creating, creating money too. This is, these are profitable industries.
0: So kind of like a labor stimulus. Totally.
1: Yeah. We're going to need a huge jobs program after this COVID-19 pandemic is behind us because this, a lot of those jobs are not going to come back. Um, so this is one way we can bring them back.
0: We, we've delved into the short-term solutions here, but we we, we both know that uh, to really affect change, we need to look into long-term solutions, and those are the tough ones. So, Stephen, why don't we why don't we talk about some of these long-term solutions here?
1: Yeah. So it's it's not at all surprising what I'm about to say. We just need to solve climate change. <laughs> <laughs> it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. We we just have to solve it. Um. And so um. This is essentially we're we're trying to get to the root of the problem, right? It's like when a do- you go to the doctor and you have a certain condition, they're gonna maybe prescribe you some medication to deal with the pain, maybe or or so that you don't have you know bodily fluids coming out of you when you don't want them to be. But ultimately, you also have to do treatment to the root of the problem, or else you just what you're gonna just keep dealing with the symptoms for the rest of your life. Like that's no way to actually. You know lead a society so so, yeah, so essentially we need to solve climate change and and you know what, I have a simple pitch on how to do that. It is simple. The general plan is this: you decarbonize the electricity sector through clean energy. these are things like solar, wind, batteries, nuclear energy, geothermal hydro and and the list goes on for clean energy, then you electrify everything. all of society has to now go electric, so Things that are right now in gas, let's say, our like cook stove that we use natural gas for, we can turn those electric, and, th- and that already exists, right? Um, instead of heating your house with like natural gas, we create electric heat pumps, which already exist as well. These are not. This is why I say it's simple but not easy, because this, this all this technology exists out there. It's just about implementing it, and a lot of that is also about finance. Like how do you finance the transition well, so that you know you're not just creating economic havoc while making this transition. And that's another thing that's super possible to do. We, we do it at our company all the time. And then, so after you've decarbonized the electricity sector, after you've electrified everything, then the last step is to clean up the remaining hard to electrify sectors, because some sectors are just going to be just out of reach for electricity. These are things like industrial processes where you're creating like cement. For example, you need really, really hot furnaces, like 15,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And we just don't have a way to get there, get there with electricity yet. Um so these are things that are technologically out of reach at the moment. Um, and maybe it's like heavy duty shipping too how, how are you gonna you know ship a, a, a massive barge with with us say like ten thousand tons of Chinese goods here with an, with like a battery? Um, I don't think that that exists yet, but um, you know those, those are gonna be those those last of the mile they're called like last mile solutions that are just outside of the scope of what's possible right now. And we'll have to use some innovation in R and D to actually solve those
0: problems. It's very, uh, it's very easy to lay out all these steps, and um, I think these are the the very obvious steps that we need to take um, in order to flatten the um, flatten the curve of carbon emissions. But what you're talking about here is essentially revolutionizing the energy sector, and how um, I mean we haven't like when was the last time an industry was revolutionized in America. It's been. I, I think maybe you could point to World War II as the last time any industry had been revolutionized. So, what do you think the steps to implementation would look like now? Would we need? Would you even say COVID nineteen is like a like nationwide scale event that's on par with World War II that could maybe prompt another revolutionize another revolution in like the energy sector? Sure. Sure.
1: Yes, it's, it is a possibility that COVID-19 is that thing, because what, what COVID-19 has done, even though it's been a travesty and destroyed so much, it created massive unemployment. And when you have massive unemployment, you need a giant government stimulus to get us out of that. Um, that's just, that's called Keynesian economics. Anyone who's taken economics 101 knows about that. Um, and the thing is, that's something that's a bipartisan solution. Everyone on both sides of the aisle talks about like spending programs to give jobs because at the end at the end of the day we need people to be employed in our economy to to get us out of you know any hardships that we're in um so yes we, i think covid-19 is a perfect perfect opportunity to really kickstart this this revolution and yeah you're totally right you know world war II was the last time i would agree world war II was the last time that, that the united states revolutionized everything of its society it it went from from peacetime to wartime economy and that's what we need to do with climate change we need to realize that that climate change is an existential problem to us in the same way that fascism was at that point or communism was during the Cold War, it threatens our the very fabric of our society and and you know the sustainability of our species in the long term so so yes, I, I think that we should be treating climate change as a wartime effort and a fight for our species survival.
0: All right, well, now it's time for the segment that's endorsed by the u s Representative from Maryland's second congressional district, Dutch Ruppersberger. It's the green new spiel. Stephen, why don't you start us out?
1: All right. Well, um, I would like to uh, plug a specific podcast, not this podcast, for our viewers to listen to. So this last this past week, to be to be truthful with my with the listeners, you know, I've I've had a pretty pretty tough week. Uh, I've been pretty stressed, been anxious, um, and I just feel like. You know, things are happening and I just don't know what to do about it. And th- I've been listening to this podcast recently called The Happiness Lab with Dr. Lori Santos. Um, she is a professor at Yale in the Department of Psychology. So this podcast is amazing. It's been, it's been super helpful for me. Um, it's essentially, it's a, it, she, she, she taught a class at Yale called this, like, The Science of Happiness. And now it's the most popular class in all of Yale's 300-year history. Um, the latest season that they've released is relevant to COVID-19 and the general anxiety that, you know, every one of us is feeling right now. Um, and we feel so alone in it because we're forced to socially distance, but in fact, we have to keep in mind, everyone's feeling these same, these same emotions. Um, it's been really helpful to me to listen to her. She gives lots of practical tips on how to actually, um, you know, think about things or use your mind to be happier. Um, the, the, the premise of it is that our mind tells us, to be happy, we have to do X, Y, Z. But what if our mind is wrong? Um, so you she uses science and you know, evidence-based science to show what is actually the right way to happiness. Um, and it's been really helpful for me. It's been teaching me to, to be grateful, to, to pr- practice gratitude, um, to you know, spend money on other people and just reach out to friends more and just try to have little conversations with people the little things like that it's been a huge help in my life um, and I really recommend it to anyone listening who's having a hard time or has had a hard time during this pandemic huh
0: do you have, do you have any uh any tips specifically uh offhand that you want to mention i'm I'm interested I'll, I'll take a happiness tip right now <laughs> huh
1: well the latest one that I have that I just listened to the latest episode was on gratefulness and gratitude um, and it talks about that in general when we're going through hard times, a lot of us tend to like complain or what they call gripe in the show. And griping and complaining is kind of, you kind of commiserate with someone, right? You kind of talk to someone, you say, I'm having a really rough time. This is what's going on. All these things are like bad. And you know, right now we can, all of us, there are so many things we can talk about, um, right? But um, the idea there is that a lot of times the complaining, it feels like you're just venting and getting stuff off your chest. But the data shows that usually the person who complained and the person who listened Generally speaking, they both of their moods tend to go down from that. So it actually shows that the, the evidence shows that that is not actually helpful in making you feel better. But what is actually helpful is practicing gratitude. So instead saying, hey, like, you know, these things are all going on in my life and it's been tough, but this is something I'm really grateful for. Like I had a really good meal that I cooked for myself last night, and I'm grateful for the fact, the opportunity that I have to cook a meal. And it's healthy or like, I'm grateful for a lot of times you can spin something that's bad into a grateful thing too. You know, you could say something like, oh, like I, 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 re- I didn't get the job I wanted and it's really bumming me out, but you know, I'm grateful for the certainty that I have now. Now I don't have to wonder whether or not I got it. And I'm grateful for the friendships and the relationships in my life that will support me in this time. So it's, and they talk about like the cheesy aspect of that. That Sometimes it's like a little cheesy where you're trying to spin, um, you know, bad news into good news for yourself. But if you can get over that cheesy hump and just kind of try to trick your mind into actually thinking these thoughts deliberately, you will actually start to feel happier. And there's data to back that up. So um, that's something that I've been doing in my life recently. And I just started it today. Um, but I'm I'm feeling good about it. And I'm feeling grateful for the fact that science can teach us so much
0: about, you know, ourselves and the world that we live in. All right. Thank you, Stephen, for your Green News spiel. Now we'll hear from Kelly.
2: Yeah. So my Green News spiel this week is about the American Conservation Coalition. Um, Their founder, Benji Backer, is going on a road trip around the country called the Electric Election Road Trip. They're driving a Tesla Model X around the country, and they're going to be planting three trees for every mile they drive to make their trip carbon negative. And they're going to be talking to business policy leaders and community leaders about Um, what amazing initiatives are already happening in America to um, combat climate change. So I'm really excited to see what they're doing. They're also doing video podcasts at each of their stops. So maybe they're copying our podcast idea. I don't know. (laughs) But I think it'll be really cool to see kind of these interviews and see what leaders around America are already doing to combat climate change and try to scale up these solutions that we already have here. So I'm really excited to see what they're up to and um, potentially... I'm actually in talks with some of the people at ACC to start a chapter here in Washington to do tree planting events so that the three trees per mile uh, traveled are actually planted by communities and ACC chapters, which I think would be really awesome. So that's my Green News spiel.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Stephen and Kelly, for your Green News spiels. And with that, we wrap up the segment and we wrap up the show. Thanks, as always, for listening to The Renewable Generation. As always, you can reach out to us on our Twitter, at GenRenewPod, or our Facebook, The Renewable Generation, or just our individual accounts. Uh, I'm at Stevens Steve is at SustainablySteve, and Kelly is at KellyMJing. Feel free to reach out to us if you have a comment, if you have a fact check you want us to do. Uh, Kelly recently did one of those. Um, or if you have something you want us to go over on the show, um, we're happy to take suggestions. Um... On anything you guys would be interesting interested in hearing us talk about?
1: Yeah, and also tweet at us. I do. Rec- I do. You know, I would like to reinforce tweet at us at at Gen Renew Pod. Generate like Gen G E N Renew like Renew Pod like Pod. Someone re- someone tweeted us the other day and challenged one of the things that we said, and I loved it. I got into a debate with him. Um, I really appreciate that kind of engagement. Um, and you know, I like to debate things and debate ideas respectfully. So do that you know challenge me i'm all for it i'm i'm open to being wrong and you know learning something from it so uh you know feel free to do that i love it
0: and we'll see you in two weeks thank you